Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We are now in our God is Able Sermon Series. In this life, it is so easy for us to settle for the ordinary. We wake up and typically have the same routine every single day. Yet our God created us to live an extraordinary life. There is no one in the world exactly like you, and God wants you to reach your full potential. This involves us growing deeper and deeper into Christ while following Him every day. His plans for us are immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So let's trust Jesus and live out our extraordinary lives. Let's listen in. You know, if I were to line you guys up according to how you would answer this question, I realize that we'd kind of be all over the board. There are some of you that uh, have a high comfort level in asking other people for help. You are willing to always reach out to somebody else. You don't mind to ask somebody for help. You, you, you're always willing and always able to help someone else. And if you need something, you're not afraid to ask. Some of us are not even afraid to ask for the moon. I mean, if it's a request that we have, we will ask it. And then there's the rest of you guys that are um, kind of at a point in life where you would like have to be almost on your deathbed before you would ask anybody to help you with anything. And you're completely underwater and you just had triplets and you're like, no, we're good. We don't need anything. We don't need a meal. We don't need anybody to help us out. Uh, and that, that, the reality is you guys are kind of somewhere all over the board with that in terms of your willingness to ask for help. And I, I see this all the time in people in their comfort level. Some people will literally ask you for anything. And some people you know are going through a really difficult time and they're like, no, I got this, I got this covered. I don't need anything. Several years ago, I was at a local bakery in Franklin. It's a really popular place um, for Saturday morning breakfast. And the line was out the door. And uh, that morning, I guess, there was a huge run on biscuits and gravy. I don't know, I guess everybody was buying biscuits and gravy that morning. And I was about five people back in line with a friend of mine, and we were standing there, and this girl who works at the bakery, she kind of walks around the corner, and she's counting the customers in line. I'm just assuming she's thinking everybody's ordering biscuits and gravy, and so she's doing the mental math of how much she has left, and so she's going and counting one, two, three, four, and so she gets right to me and looks me right in the eyes and says, can you tell everybody behind you that we're going to be out of biscuits and gravy? Um... I'm sorry. I was thinking to myself, I don't work here. Uh, and it's quite possible this guy behind me drove here for the biscuits and gravy. So, no, I can't. It's really kind of you to ask me to do that, uh, but I'm not comfortable with that. And she was basically saying, can you do my job for me? And I was not comfortable with that moment several years ago as well. Uh, I was doing one of the things that I love to do, which is working with students. And uh, a big part of my ministry throughout my career in ministry has been working with students, working at summer camps with students and speaking to students. And I love middle schoolers and high schoolers because there's just something that's so, they're, they're on fire for the Lord and I love that. But I also really love them because they're hilarious and you get great stories when you work with middle schoolers and high schoolers because they're not afraid to ask for anything. And so this one particular service, much like we're here, we're here and we're in this big auditorium and I'm preaching the word of God. And that's those moments when you're in the job that I'm doing and you're just like, man, the Holy Spirit was there and it was real. And we were ready for these students to make decisions for Christ. And I had said, if you want to talk to somebody about faith or a next step in your spiritual journey, your leaders are here, your staff will be here, come forward and we'd love to meet with you. And I'm standing right at the center of the stage. And here comes this student, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I'm smiling. And she walks up to me, and I'm thinking she's going to say, the Lord called me to ministry, Pastor Jason, through your service. Thank you for being a mouthpiece of God in this moment. That's what I'm expecting to hear. And she leans in, and she says, today's my friend Amy's birthday. Uh, when you get back up on stage, can we all sing her happy birthday? 
Bless it, Lord. I'm thinking to myself, wow, of all the, the, the Lord was here, and that was your response to that. P.S., if you do come up after the service today and ask to sing happy birthday to somebody, the answer will still be no uh, in that moment. Uh, I've been in lines at amusement parks before, waiting my turn, and someone will come up and say, hey, all my friends are coming. Do you mind if they hop in front of all of us and join me? And I'm thinking to myself, seriously? These people are not afraid to ask for anything. Maybe when it comes to negotiating a deal, you guys realize that some of you are willing to ask for anything in negotiations, and some of you all are just kind of like, I'm going to just roll over and play dead. I learned this from my dad. I have one of the best dads in the world, and he was and is a great negotiator. If you watched him buy a used car, it was like watching an artist at work and his ability to go in and buy these cars. And I will never forget, he told me as a teenager, uh, he said, you know, my negotiation tactic is just wear the person down. I mean, that's just what he would do. He was just, you know, had resolve, and he would like car bloat in the morning, and he would be like, I can stay here all day if I need, I don't even need to leave to go to anything. I don't need to go to the bathroom. I mean, I'm just here, ready to get what I feel like is best. And he would do his research, and he would know what he was looking for. And then he told me one of the best tips of negotiating which is a little bit different now because the car market's a little bit different now than it was 20 years ago. But he said, you know, Jason, here's what I'll tell you to do. You get the people right where you want them, and then you leave. And I'm thinking, he's like, and you go home for the night. They'll call you. They'll chase you. They will find you. And then he would come in the next morning, and he would just seal the deal by asking for the kitchen sink. He'd be like, I like the deal that we formed. You throw in two free oil changes, some air fresheners, and one of those umbrellas with that dealership logo on it, and we got us a deal. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, he was not afraid to ask for anything. And we laughed this morning, but I'm sure that you see yourself somewhere on that continuum where you're either the type of person who says, you know what, I'll ask for anything or I can't ask for anything. And the reality is when I look at my spiritual life and when you look at your spiritual life, I hope and pray that you see some parallels and that maybe you'll be encouraged to continue on one path or maybe you see a parallel and you say, you know what, I have work that I need to do or some areas that I need to grow in. Because when you think about your understanding of God and when you think about your personal relationship with God and when you think about your prayer life, which sounds more like you? Are you the person who boldly prays? Are you the person who boldly trusts? Are you the person who says, I believe God is able and because God is able, I can bring anything to him. I don't want to leave anything on the table, so to speak. Or maybe you're the person who's just timid. You don't really believe that God cares about your specific needs as much as he does. Or maybe you don't believe that God cares about your specific needs like he does everyone else's needs. Or maybe, just maybe, you're in a season of your life where you've become really professional and you've just kind of figured everything out in your own power. And you've kind of figured everything out in your own right. Or your bank account has been able to get you kind of whatever you need. And so therefore, you just don't need help from God anymore. And you don't consult him and you don't bring those needs to him. And you kind of just go along your own path, realizing that you need him, but you're not ever taking those things to him. See, your answer to that question of what areas do you need to grow in or, or do you pray bold prayers or are you timid in the things that you do? Your answer to that question is precisely why we are doing this series called God is Able. Because individually and families, and collectively as the body of believers here, I believe that our understanding of just how able God is always needs to go up and to the right. I believe we all need to go to the next level in our understanding of how able God is to realize that there is nothing that he cannot do. 
and to realize that there is nothing that in our lives that we will ever encounter that he does not care so deeply about. And he is capable, in fact, of doing more than I can ever ask or imagine. And I'm so grateful that you're here this morning. And I'm going to invite you here in just a second to join me in prayer. And I specifically want to ask you to pray this prayer this morning. It's a very simple prayer. But it's also a bold prayer. So if you don't feel comfortable praying it just quite yet, and I'm not going to make you pray it aloud, but if you feel comfortable, I'd love for you to pray this prayer in your heart. And the prayer simply sounds like this. God, show me what you're able to do. God, show me what you want to do and help me to trust you. If you're so inclined this morning, I'm going to give you just a moment of silence, which is so few and far between in the world that we live in right now, isn't it? And maybe you would just have the courage to say this prayer to yourself. God, show me what you're able to do. That show me what you want to do and help me to trust you. Will you take a moment and bow your heads and close your eyes? And just between you and the Lord, will you pray that today? God, will you show each and every one of us today what you're able to do? Will you show us what you want to do in our lives? And will you help us to trust you? And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, which is our key verse for this series, God is Able, but also in addition to that, the key verse for Rolling Hills. This has been the verse that we have said that we are built upon for the past 20 years. And this is what Paul says at the conclusion of this prayer to the church at Ephesus. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Then all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What does this verse mean? This verse means that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above what I'm even capable of asking. And some of us, from a human perspective, are pretty entitled to ask lots of things. We have no qualms with asking without any concern for anyone else. We are sometimes very, very easy. It's very, very easy for us sometimes to make life about ourselves and make lives about our family and ask whatever we need to any human who will listen. But sometimes we're not so comfortable turning to the God of creation the one who sent his son Jesus, the one who cares about us in such a passionate way, sometimes we're not able to turn to him and trust him with anything in our lives. And so we're going to study a passage of scripture this morning that I believe will show you just how able God is. But more importantly than that, he will show you why he was doing the way things that he is doing and what impact that has on our specific faith journey. So if you have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. It's a short passage of scripture. A lot of the words are actually printed there for you on your worship guide, along with some notes. If you want to follow along, you can hop on your mobile device or the Church Center app and follow along as well. Take a look at the screens. But John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and you see the subject heading there is Jesus changes water into wine. This is the first recorded public miracle that Jesus performed in his adult, uh, as an as a adult ministry uh, in his three years that he was out uh, you know, ministering and calling disciples before he was crucified. So this is his first miracle, starting in verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus' disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. 
Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, And there they stayed for a few days. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he has called some disciples, not all of the disciples yet, and he and the disciples and his mother are invited to a wedding in Cana. And what you need to understand about first century weddings is that they were a lot more complex and nuanced than the weddings that we have today. You know, sometimes our weddings are like 15 minutes. You know, we're in, we're out, you're married, kiss the bride, and you go and have a dinner and that's it. The weddings back then were much more elaborate. These were sometimes even multiple day events, and it would have not been a good look for the bridegroom uh, to have a party where the wine stopped flowing. And so Jesus is there. He's an invited guest with his disciples, and this would have reflected very poorly on the groom. And so they are out of wine, and Mary, being the proud mom that she is, says, Jesus is here. He can take care of this. Jesus, come on up and do your thing. And in this moment, you know, Jesus questions, why would you involve me in this? But she proceeds to tell the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so Jesus selects six stone jars, and he has them filled with water, and then he turns that water into wine. And if you're doing the math in your head and you're thinking, this sounds like a lot of wine, it is. I mean, he has made massive amounts of wine. I mean, six stone jars, 30 gallons apiece, you do the math, that's like 180 gallons of wine. And to put it into a perspective that you may understand better, it's like the equivalent of about a thousand normal size bottles of wine. But Jesus did not do this miracle just so the party would keep going. (laughs) But rather, he's showing his disciples something about who he is. And he's showing us his power, and he's ultimately glorifying God through this moment. And we learn a crucial lesson about what God sent Jesus to do through this first recorded miracle. Now, I love that we're told that this is a celebration that Jesus was invited to, and his disciples were invited to, and Mary was invited to. And when the need arose, Mary immediately invited Jesus into the equation. Don't you love that Mary's response was not, we need to go find the closest winery, Or we need to find some grapes and stomp them out and see if we can make some wine ourselves. That's not Mary's response. In the moment, in essence, what she's saying is, my son is here. He is the savior of the world. I gave birth to him. He is fully man, but he is also fully God. And he can do something about this. How about you? How do you respond in those situations when a challenge arises? When there's an obstacle that comes your way, what do you think to yourself? Is your response, I can fix this? I'm smart enough to fix this? 
I'm wealthy enough to fix this. I'm wealthy enough to just go buy more wine, whatever the case might be. What do you, how do you respond? Do you say, can I fix this? Or as you see here on your screen, screens, are you wise enough to invite Jesus into every situation? Are you wise enough to say, you know what, I want to invite Jesus into every situation because part of wisdom, part of growing into who God intends for us to be, the life he wants us to live is to say, every situation that I find myself in, I'm going to invite Jesus into that. I'm not going to try to fix it myself. It's why in verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. He's special. He's unique. He's the Savior. Do whatever he tells you. Now, there's not a person in this room today, or there's not a person who will listen to this message at any point in the future that is not going through an obstacle of some sort. If I were to line you up and pass a microphone through the room and say, is anybody in this room going through an obstacle? I'm sure every person in this room, under the sound of my voice, everyone who listens to this, at some point in time will say, absolutely, I have an obstacle. I have a circumstance. I have a situation that I'm facing right now. And it's safe to say that some of us probably haven't invited Jesus into that situation. We're kind of letting our mind figure it all out. Or we're letting our educational background figure it all out. And what happens to your mind when you allow your human mind, or when you invite only your mind to figure everything out, what tends to happen? Our mind goes to a bad place, doesn't it? This is one of my struggles. One of the things, one of the many things that I struggle with is sometimes I try to fix things in my own mind, and my mind takes me to a really bad place. My mind takes me to absolute worst case scenario. And my mind takes me to this place of it's probably if I do the wrong thing, it's all going to fall apart. And you realize it's a lie of the enemy. And what the enemy is trying to sow in you is you're more important than you think you are. You control things more than you think you do. And in those moments, your mind creates this narrative apart from Christ that's probably not very accurate because the things that you and I tend to worry about, how many of them actually happen? Most of them don't, do they? Most of the stories that we tell ourselves in our mind, they don't ever come to fruition. Or maybe we turn to Google, or maybe we just go to a friend and say, what do I need to do to fix this situation? Whereas I could and should start from a place of saying, you know what, Jesus is here with me right now. Why don't I ask him? That was Mary's response. Jesus is here Why don't we see what he can do in this situation? And maybe you're reading this and you're thinking, you see Jesus' response to Mary, and he refers to her as woman, and uh, that might sound a little abrasive. And you're like, this is his mother. I mean, she gave birth to him, and he's responding to her as woman. What's that all about? Most biblical scholars would say that why Jesus responded in that way is he was trying to show the crowd that I don't play any favorites. Just because my mom is asking me to perform this miracle, I'm not doing it just because she's my mom. And there's other biblical accounts that would kind of reference that as well. When Jesus talks about who are my brothers and sisters, my brothers and sisters are are not my brothers who are here, but it's actually anyone who follows the will of God, anyone who pursues and follows God. Those are my brothers and sisters. And so it's, it's, it's trying to prove a point here. He's saying my time is not yet to fulfill, has not had yet come to fulfill all that God has in store for me. But Mary persists and she believes boldly. And she says everyone needs to listen to him. There was this expectation, and there was this anticipation of what Jesus was going to do. On a side note, if I can be brutally honest with you this morning, I'm afraid that sometimes in my own life, I just don't have the anticipation and the expectation that God's going to show up and do something that can only be described by Him. Maybe you relate to that as well. I believe it's one of the things that holds us back individually, and it will be something that holds us back collectively if we try to say in our own power, we can fix everything. 
I know I have room to grow in this area. To when I come in these doors on a Sunday morning, or I show up at community group, or I open my Bible in the morning, do I have an anticipation that God is going to speak to me? Or do I just go through the motions? Because this story highlights that when you have an anticipation and an expectation of Jesus in the situation that he is going to move. Why? Because he is able. And the purpose of this miracle, again, was not, let's just let the party keep going. That was not the purpose of this miracle. However, the purpose of this miracle, the first miracle of Jesus, as you see here on the screen, the first miracle of Jesus was actually a clear sign to the world that he was sent by God to purify. This miracle, this first recorded miracle of Jesus, was actually a very clear sign to that first century world that he was sent by God to purify. Go back to verse 6 and 7. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now keep in mind that the celebration already had wine and it had run out, (laughs) meaning that there were empty containers. And instead of just refilling the empty containers, which would have made the most practical sense, Instead of just saying, this is where the wine was, let's just refill those empty containers and make more wine. Instead of doing that, Jesus calls for the servants to fill up these jars that were used for purification. What is that all about? See, these purification jars were these large containers that were used for ceremonial cleansing in the first century. And if you're wondering, that sounds a lot like a bathtub, then you've got the right picture. These were tubs, these were jars that were used for ceremonial cleansing. This is a detail that sometimes we look over in this miracle, but Israel had all of these purification rituals that they would follow through to make themselves clean, to purify them, to make them new, so to speak. And what Jesus is showing us in the moment is he's showing those first century hearers, and in essence, he's showing us today, I'm the one who makes you clean because of all the jars that he could have identified. He picks the purification jars, and what he's doing is he's showing Israel in this moment that you have been held captive from this kind of ideology, which was, which was pre-Jesus, that it was these works that made you right. It was these rituals that made you right, and now Jesus comes on the scene, and he says, no, it's salvation by faith alone. I'm the one who makes you right, and I'm ultimately going to die for the ultimate purification for the sins of all the world, meaning that these ritualistic cleansings would no longer be needed. You didn't have to do these cleansings anymore. See, it's only through Christ that you and I can be made clean. We're not good enough. We cannot save ourselves. And in this specific act, which we gloss over when we read this miracle, but I assure you the first century hearers at this wedding celebration, they would not have missed that at all. They would have not missed the fact that of everything Jesus could have picked, he picked the purification jars because he was showing them something about who he is and what it is that he had come to do. See, through Jesus Christ, our greatest need is met. The need to be clean, the need to be purified, the need to be saved from our sin. It's the message of the gospel. It's salvation. But through Jesus Christ, all of our other needs are met as well. And through this miracle, it certainly goes to show that Jesus cares about every need or concern that you have. Jesus cares about every concern or every need that you have. Back to verses 7 and 8, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. 
And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Did you know that there's nothing in your heart right now that's apart from his care and concern? Maybe you have a struggle that you're facing right now. Maybe you have an addiction that you're trying to fight through. Maybe you have an issue with your family right now. Maybe you think about your future, and your future is just really, really unclear. Maybe you have an interpersonal struggle. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe you're in a job right now that's just not the right job for you. Maybe you're in a relationship that's not the right relationship. Maybe it's financial uncertainty. Maybe it's illness. Maybe it's sickness. Whatever it is this morning, I hope and pray that you realize he cares. He cares. There's nothing that's going on in your life that he does not care about. And so why do I try to figure this out on my own? Why do I try to consult my own power, my own intellect, my own wisdom when he cares about those needs and yearns to meet them? In this first miracle, he's doing something that's so significant as well. He's actually protecting this newlywed couple from embarrassment. But he's also involving these servants in this miracle. Don't you love that he could have involved the guest of honor? He could have went to the master of the banquet and said, let me perform this miracle in front of you. But no, he calls the lowliest among the wedding guests. And he says, watch what I'm getting ready to do. That should show you something about the heart of Jesus as well, is that he involves the least and the lowly. He's here to not serve, uh, be served, but to serve others, so to speak. He's giving a bird's eye view to these people who do not believe him yet about who he is and what he's going to do. I believe it's the same reason he wants to involve us in his work, so that we'll trust him and so that we will see that he's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. So these miracles stand to show us something that's so significant, including this one. This miracle shows us that Jesus provides in a way that no one or nothing else ever can or will. Jesus provides in a way that no one or nothing else ever can or will. Let's go back to the text in verse 9. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And this master of the banquet has brought a taste of this new wine, not knowing where it came from, Although the servants knew, and the banquet master calls the bridegroom into his presence, and he says, this is better wine than what we started out with. Who saves the best for last? You saved the best until now. Are you kidding me? This miracle is not about the wine. This miracle is about Jesus showing us who he is, that they had been kind of under this law. They had under this law, they were needed no more, though. Because he was the one who was purifying them. He was the one that was making them whole. See, Israel was just following all of their rules. They had these Pharisees and these religious leaders who were militantly holding people to a standard that they could not achieve. And they were judging them if they broke any of the 632 laws that you meticulously had to follow. And you would go through purification to be made clean. And along comes Jesus early in his public ministry, invited to a wedding, and they run out of wine at the wedding. And instead of filling the jars that had wine in them before, Jesus picks the purification jars to show this crowd who he is. None of this is coincidence. Jesus is showing us this beautiful picture about his ministry. This was an intentional miracle to show us who he was and what God had sent him to do. And he's saying, I can and I will do for you what you're no longer capable of doing. 
I can and will do for you what the law is no longer capable of doing. I care about every need of your life more than you can ever imagine. And Jesus doesn't just provide us with a little, does he? I mean, Jesus provides us with an abundance. He provided with an abundance in this moment, and he continues to do so now. You know, one of the greatest blessings of my ministry, one of the things that gets me more excited about anything is when I hear the stories about what God's doing in your life. And I hear the stories about how he has done immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. And we give him all the praise for that. Just a few weeks ago, in fact, we hand out these connection cards and we ask you guys to give us a prayer request if you're comfortable doing that. And our staff, as Laura said at the beginning of the service, we read every card. We pray for every card by name. And there was a card that came in a couple of weeks ago, and it kind of came across my desk, and I, I, I just, it just kind of shook me when I read, when I read it. And it was uh, from someone who, um, and she said her name, and I won't share her name, but she uh, was visiting back here in Nolansville. And she had been a part of our church um, for a couple of years prior to moving um, uh, out of state. And she comes back, and uh, she wrote on the card, it's so good to be back at Rolling Hills. I want to thank you because this church literally saved my life. And I don't know what that's about. I don't know all the nuance of that story. I don't know all the situations personally that this lady was going through. But I simply stopped and I took a moment and I said, thank you, God, for the church. Because with all of our flaws and with all of our shortcomings and with all of our errors, with all of yours and with all of mine, God meets people through the community of believers. And here is a walking testimony. She said, this church saved my life and I give God all the glory for that. And I give God all the praise for that. I think about what happens in this midst. You're sitting right now in the midst of a miracle. Did you know that? Because back in 2016, our church uh, transitioned our regional campus here to Nolansville. And we were meeting over at Nolansville Elementary School where my kids now go to school. And we were setting up and tearing down every week in the cafeteria. And we had this big old yellow truck that we hoped would not die on us to be able to get our supplies in there. Some of you are new to Rolling Hills and you're like, I had no idea. But we just continued to be faithful and you were faithful, and the church was faithful. And through what can only be described by a God story, we were coming near the end of our lease where we had to have somewhere else to go. And we had talked to every church in town. We had been inside every building in town trying to find some place to go. And there was this amazing church right here on this property that was meeting in the building right behind us today called Revive Church. And through what can only be described by a God story, our churches came together, merged together under the umbrella of Rolling Hills Community Church. And in October of 2019, one week after we had to be out of Nolensville Elementary School, P.S. One week after, God, thank you. One week after, we're here. And then that thing COVID happened, and then that threw us off for a little bit. And then we just continued to be faithful. You continued to be faithful. And then God opened up a door for us to expand our footprint here on our property to see more people reached for Jesus Christ. And I don't tell you this story this morning to give the praise to anybody who's in this room. I tell you that story this morning to give the praise to God because it's a miracle. And it can only be described by him. And those are just two of the isolated stories that are fresh on my mind right now. And I'm sure that you have them as well. Those things that can only be described by him 
And when you go back to verse 11, it says what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee, it was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. See, in him showing us this miracle, it was the first sign of Jesus revealing his glory. He's glorifying God. He's saying, this is who I am. I'm not just a mere man. I'm not just a mere wedding guest. I am the son of God. He's showing the crowd who he is. And he's seeking to bring glory to his father. And he's saying, I'm here to fulfill my father's purpose for me to purify you and to make you clean. See, every incredible miracle that we see, it's not just for the benefit of us. In fact, it's not for the benefit of us primarily. It's for God to be glorified and for others to be seeing who he is. God to be glorified. See, how quick am I to ask God to move? And he moves and I take the credit for him. Or how quick am I to ask God to move and God moves and instead of giving God the credit, I kind of forget to thank him and praise him and glorify him in those moments. Or how quick am I to kind of give myself or my finances or anything else credit for getting me out of a situation when it was God who ultimately delivered me. See, this text serves as this great reminder that God yearns for us to glorify him. And it should be the greatest aim of our life to say, you know what, I don't care what the world thinks about me. I don't care uh, how popular I am. I don't care how well-known I am. I don't care how rich I am, how poor I am, but I want God to be glorified in my life. And I want God to be glorified in my actions. And I want to live a life of faithfulness. And I want to use everything that I have with every breath in my life to bring him glory and to bring him honor. And Jesus, doing so in this miracle, met needs, as all miracles do, blessed all those involved, as all miracles do, but it says that also caused the disciples to believe in him. And that's what's so cool about these immeasurably more God is able moments in our life. The same is true for us. When we proclaim what God has done, this is what happens, and you see it here on your screen. Make much of God and watch what he does in others. When you make much of God, watch what he does in others others. See, this early moment in Jesus's ministry would lead to more and more disciples following, and it would lead to the movement of the church. I mean, can you imagine Jesus and John walking around in the first century, and they're trying to recruit more disciples, and they come up on someone, and they're like, Jesus is saying, I'm the son of God, and someone comes up to John, and they're like, can this guy really be trusted? I mean, can you imagine John saying, okay, let me tell you, it was August, a hot wedding in Cana. And we were out of wine and 180 gallons appear. It's serving as this reminder of how good he is. And it led more disciples to believe. And when you believe in something, you want to tell others about it. That's why your testimony is so important. That's why that proclamation of how good God has been in your life is so important. And it truly matters. Your story of faithfulness will always impact someone else. So the question at hand this morning is, are you wise enough to invite Jesus into every situation? Do you actually believe that he cares about your needs and your concerns? I want to give us this morning a moment to respond to that. In fact, I want to ask every person in the room to bow their heads and close their eyes for just a moment. And I'm going to invite the band to come back out. And to the best of your ability, I'd love for you to just kind of minimize the distractions that are around you. And I want us to take a moment today to put this into practice. Because I believe that every person in this room right now 
regardless of your background, regardless if you're walking with Jesus or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, I believe that there's not a person in this room right now that's not yearning for God to do something in their life, something in their midst. I pray that there's something in your mind right now individually that you're praying for God to do. I also hope and pray that there's something collectively that you're saying, God, do this in our midst. And so I want you to think about that for just a moment. But I don't want you to think about something that you can do. Don't think about something that you're fully capable of doing in your own power. But I want your mind to grasp something right now that you say, you know what, only God. He is able, and that would only be him. Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now that doesn't know Jesus. And you're going to pray a bold prayer today that God would get a hold of their life. Or maybe it's a friend that's far from God, and you've been ministering to them, you've been sharing the gospel with them. And maybe it's a bold prayer to say, God, bring them to faith in you right now. Or maybe you think about what God's doing in our midst as we've celebrated so much life change over the past few weeks. And maybe you're saying, God, do something, bring revival to the church here in Nolensville, Tennessee, so that we see many, 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 many more people come to faith in you and to follow with the next step of baptism, to step up, to serve. Or maybe it's brokenness in your life and you just need freedom from that. Whatever it is, we're going to give you some space this morning to invite him in. So will you trust him? Will you be bold? Do you believe that he cares? And will you speak to him today about whatever it is that's on your heart? Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.